Friday of this past week officially marked six months since the first case of COVID-19 was confirmed in New Jersey. Six months, can you believe that? It's very hard to wrap our minds around how drastically things have changed since that first case was confirmed in a physician who worked in NYC. In fact, when we canceled our first church service, there were no confirmed cases yet in Warren County. And then all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, everything in the entire state was shut down. Out of nowhere, everything changed. Basic necessities, toilet paper, was nowhere to be found. It became the new currency in the country. <laughs> Whole shelf sections at the grocery store were completely empty. I remember going to the, to the store and taking a picture and texting it to Cheerio, just an entire aisle, nothing in it. From one end to one end, there was just nothing in it. Grocery stores that had already had online ordering had their websites crashed due to the overload of people trying to order groceries to be delivered. Only essential businesses were allowed to be open and everyone was ordered to stay home unless you had to travel to work in connection with health care or what had been deemed as an essential business. And that's nothing compared to what uh, the, the employees, patients, and residents of the state's hospitals, nursing homes, retirement communities, and other medical facilities were dealing with. We watched as the rate of infection grew exponentially and medical professionals were predicting that they wouldn't have enough equipment to handle all the infected patients. No one had any information about what was going on. Many people were going out of their minds with fear and it certainly seemed like the world was ending. Here we are six months later and while there are still restrictions in place, and while we have suffered heartbreak, overall, we're in a much different place now as a, as a church, as, as a community, as a state. But like the onset of this pandemic, there will be an event that happens in this world. It will be a global event that will be even more drastically out of nowhere. It will take most people by complete surprise. And the biggest part of this immediate event is that it could come at any moment. Even five minutes into this message, it could come at any moment. There are a lot of views, opinions, thoughts, and beliefs about what is going on right now in the world. And some of it may or may not happen. But what we're going to be talking about today is promised to happen in God's word. It will be a global event, and it will happen, and everyone will be affected somehow. The 19-year anniversary of 9-11 will also be happening this upcoming week on a Friday. And while not everyone in the country was profoundly affected by 9-11, the event that we're going to be talking about today will profoundly affect everyone in the entire country and in the entire world. 
What's also very interesting to note about this month of September in the year 2020 is that it is exactly 1,950 years this month that Jerusalem fell to the Romans in 70 AD. The Grand Temple that had been the center of Jewish worship was completely destroyed and Jewish identity was never the same. In fact, Matthew starts out this morning's chapter 24 with Jesus prophesying about this Roman destruction of the temple in verse 2 when he says that not one stone of that temple would remain upon another. But the global event we'll be taking a look at today has everything to do with God's program to bring his chosen people out of their rebellion against his Messiah and back to faith in him. Today's message is focusing on this event that will happen and can happen at any given moment. And while it's not necessarily based on one specific parable today, Jesus does use a couple of illustrations to get his point across. And this event is something that everyone desperately needs to hear right now. Desperately. Just six months ago, most people in our country and the world looked around them and never thought that we'll be talking about today, that what we'll be talking about today could or would ever happen. But I believe that this current crisis has shaken a lot of people up into thinking that anything is possible now. And so now is when we need to talk about this. And that's a good thing. So please feel free to share this with others when it goes online tomorrow. Like Jesus said, the fields are ripe for the harvest right now. So what in the world am I talking about? What global event are we going to talk about today? Well, let's dive into our passage this morning to find out. Today's passage is a portion of the famous Matthew 24 chapter of Scripture where Jesus himself notes several things in connection with end times events. This is a highly controversial chapter with a lot going on in it. But today we're only going to be focusing on the section from, verse, from verses 36 through verse 41. Next week we'll talk about the parable that immediately follows that. That's in direct connection with this subject as well. So if you brought your Bible with you, please turn to Matthew chapter 24. If you didn't, there should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn to Matthew 24. Or if you, your arm is too short to reach the Bible in front of you, <laughs> you probably brought a smartphone with you. You can look up a Bible app and look it up on there. Matthew 24, we're, <laughs> we're going to start in verse 36. And we read, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Now, this is the first of two bookend verses that surround this passage. Now we're just jumping into this verse out of nowhere. So if you had no prior knowledge to what we're talking about today, you would read this and say, what day? What day is Jesus talking about? That not even the angels of heaven, nor Jesus is the Son of God. No. Since this is the first of two bookend verses, let's go to the second bookend verse to see if that we can clear that up.
In verse 44 we read, For this reason you must also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. That's the second bookend verse to what we're spending the first, we're going to be talking about the first half of this today. So taken together, what's in between verse 36 and what's in between verse 44 is talking about this truth. That the Son of God, Jesus, will return someday. But the specific day of that, no one, not even him, knows except the Father. I'm sure the Son has a general idea, but it's only when the Father says, okay, now, that Jesus will know he's coming back. So right off the bat, if someone, even a preacher, says they've predicted when this day is and they know when Jesus is coming back, do not give them another moment of your time. The reality is that they have no clue. And if they claim they do have a clue, it's outright disobedience and the slap in the face of Jesus. Because if Jesus doesn't even know, how can they claim to know? The first truth I want to establish is that Jesus has come to earth once. Not only is there sufficient evidence in the New Testament scriptures, historical documents themselves that have overwhelming evidence as to their authenticity, but there is also other historical evidence of the existence of Jesus on this earth, of his death and of his resurrection. In fact, there's so much historical evidence for the first coming of Jesus, his crucifixion, and his resurrection, you would have to completely change the way you look at the authenticity of all other historical evidence for every other historical event that has happened in the history of this world and or person in order to deny the historical evidence of the scriptures. You would have to completely change the way you look at everything else. The first time... Jesus fulfilled his mission and purpose by paying for our sins on the cross and defeating death by rising again from the dead. And all throughout that first time he was on earth, Jesus made promise after promise that he would be leaving earth at some point and then returning to earth at some point. This return would have a much different mission and purpose than the first time. So if the prophecies in the Old Testament or the Jewish scriptures about the Messiah coming to earth the first time to suffer for our sins prove to be true, then the prophecies in both the Old Testament and the New Testament about Jesus coming back again will most certainly again be proven true. And what's the first truth established about this return? Again, like what we've read, that no one has any clue about when it will happen. Now, people a lot smarter than I am and whose theology I trust have studied this chapter deeply. And their interpretation of Jesus' message here is what we'll be focusing on. Because of this, and we're not really going to be focusing on this today, everything from verse, if you're looking at your Bible here, take a look at it as I'm, as I'm saying this. Everything from verse 4 through verse 35, the verse just before the passage we're focusing on today. So the majority of Matthew 24, everything from verse 4 all the way through verse 35 is dealing with the future great tribulation period and the full second coming of Jesus 
after the battle of Armageddon. I'll say that again. Everything from verse 4 through verse 35 is dealing with the future great tribulation period and the full second coming of Jesus after the battle of Armageddon. That's a whole other discussion for a whole other time. We're not really going to be getting too much into that today. But one of the biggest characteristics of all of that description from verses 4 through 45 is the repeated phrase, in those days, plural. You see that pop up. You see it pop up in verse 19, twice in verse 22, and then again in verse 29. You see that phrase pop up in that entire section, in those days, plural. In context, that phrase, those days, plural, is referring to the entire tribulation period, which ends with Jesus' second coming in verse 29. Take a few second break for you to digest that. The tribulation period, from looking at several different portions of both the Old Testament and New Testament scriptures, is an end times seven-year period unlike anything the world has ever seen. So you might have heard me say the Great Tribulation. What in the world is that? I've heard of it. I don't know anything about it. It's a, an end time, seven-year period unlike anything the world has ever seen. It will be a time of God pouring out his wrath upon the earth. That will be the entire purpose of this tribulational period. God pouring out his wrath upon the earth, paying it back for its thousands of years of evil and injustice. This is the time period when the Antichrist will rise up, and as Jesus describes in chapter 24, verses 15 through 16, and Paul describes to the Thessalonian church, he will desecrate the rebuilt Jewish temple by setting himself up as God in it. Hence the name Antichrist. He will try to prove to the world that he's the real Messiah. It will also be a time of unprecedented persecution against the Jewish people and people who put their faith in Jesus during that time. The descriptions of the seven-year tribulation period in the biblical books of Daniel, Ezekiel, the four Gospels, 2 Thessalonians, and Revelation will be a horrific time of judgment, sickness, plague, and death. We think we've seen some stuff during this current crisis, but believe me, this is nothing. Nothing compared to the future seven-year tribulation period. People in that period will wish they're dealing with what we're going through right now. At the end of this seven-year period, the Antichrist and the nation's armies will attack Jerusalem and be partially successful. But then out of nowhere, Jesus will return at what is referred to as his second coming with heaven's armies at his back and completely annihilate all the nation's armies with one word. At the second coming, Jesus will set up his earthly kingdom of righteousness and pure justice 
for a thousand years. The Antichrist will be thrown into the lake of fire, and Satan will be imprisoned for those thousand years. After that is one last attempt by Satan to overthrow Jesus, and how do you think that's going to end? He's obviously going to fail again. And following that is the great judgment of the souls of all of those who never accepted Jesus as their Savior from sin and King over their lives. Those who had either looked forward to, by prophecy to the Messiah or accepted Jesus as that Messiah after his first coming will then enter the new heavens and the new earth. Those who never did any of that and never repented of their sin will be cast into the same eternal fate of torment in the lake of fire, the same exact place as Satan and the Antichrist get cast into. But that's not what we're focusing on today. I, but I just wanted to give a little bit of background to all of this. That's not what we're focusing on today. I just wanted to explain all of that, albeit very briefly, briefly, to set it apart from what we're going to be talking about today, to set it apart from our passage this morning. In this, verse 36, this is why I talked about in those days, plural. In verse 36, there's a linguistic transition. Everything that happens in those days, plural, a.k.a. the seven-year tribulation, and everything else that follows that, transitions to what? That day, singular. That day, singular. That day, singular, starts everything that's going to happen in those days, plural. But we're starting with that day, singular. That's what brings us back to verse 36. According to one biblical scholar, the word but at the beginning of verse 36 is actually two words in the Greek that are better translated as but concerning, signaling a transition to a different topic. A different topic. In this case, the day singular. There is something that happens on this singular day. That's what we're going to be focusing on today. That's what I opened up our time with. There is something that happens on this singular day that's different from everything else that follows. And when you look at it in context, it's something that happens on a single day before everything else happens. That's important. The thing that happens on this day, singular, happens before everything that happens in those days, plural. In other words, this event that happens on a single day before all the other end times events happens in, before, including the tribulation and Jesus' second coming. This, this happens before all of that. What is this event? been leading up to this all this time. What is this event? Well, we finally get to what I've been leading up to all this time. A global event that will happen completely out of nowhere and which could happen at any moment. Verse 37. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. So this is describing a coming of the Son of Man or Jesus that's different from the second coming after the tribulation. That's why I established all of that. This is something that's different and happens before 
what's described as the second coming. And in connection with what we just talked about, this is a coming of Jesus before the tribulation and the full second coming. And here's where we get to the aspect of this different coming of Jesus happening out of nowhere to everyone. Verse 37 already describes the setting being like the days of who? Noah. Jesus clarifies what he's getting at in verse 38. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. There's that singular day again. Here's what Jesus is getting at here. Just as he described in verse 38, the entire world will be just going about everyday life. And that's going to be huge for our understanding of this. No one will have any reason to believe that anything since the beginning of time will be any different. No one will have any reason to think that Jesus would be doing anything new since he came the first time. He was killed by the Romans and by his own people, and that was it. People will go on grocery shopping and planning for their futures and going on vacation and buying expensive things and getting married and celebrating holidays and going to school and having kids and raising kids and getting sick and having surgery and buying scratch-offs hoping for a lottery win and going to work and living for the weekend and listening to music and watching TV and going out to eat and rooting for sports teams and retiring and going to church or not going to church and dying and being born. It will be just life as usual, Jesus says, all the way up to the day. In his illustration, life was life as usual all the way up to the day that Noah and his family entered the ark. Nothing led up to that day except that Noah was done with the ark and that entire time people were ridiculing him for building a giant ark in the middle of a field. When Noah and his family entered the ark and God shut the door, that was it. There was nothing else anyone else could do. Once that door was shut, that was it. Everything was perfectly normal until suddenly it wasn't. We caught a glimpse of this when everything unfolded so quickly with this pandemic. Everything was perfectly normal until everything was suddenly shut down and everything ground to a halt. Jesus is illustrating that everything will be perfectly normal until he comes back before the tribulation and all the other end times events happen. In fact, this different in-between coming will set the stage for everything else. Noah and his family enter the ark and are spared from the destruction of the flood. However, everyone else on the earth didn't understand that Noah was spared from global destruction until that worldwide flood came and destroyed all of them. That's what Jesus says next in verse 39. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. 
so will this coming of the Son of Man be. These are the exact words of Jesus himself saying this. God spared Noah and his family from the destruction of the global flood. And as Jesus directly connects it to himself, Jesus will spare some people from the destruction of the following tribu worldwide tribulational period by coming back for them before that point. See, Noah and his family were spared from the flood for their faith in God before the floodwaters came. The door was shut before the floodwaters came. In the same way, Jesus will spare those who believe in him before the tribulation comes. And when that happens, no one remaining will really understand what happened until the tribulational judgments start happening and destroy them, just like the floodwaters did to those who remained after Noah was rescued. So what will this event be like? whereby Jesus rescues his believers before the tribulational judgments start coming. I want to preface this by saying biblical scholars disagree on this, but, but in Jesus' context of Noah being taken by God into the ark and spared and everyone else being left on the earth to face the destruction of the flood, verse 40 and 41 are best understood in the same way. So what are verses 40 through 41? Then there will be two men in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. In this context, these verses capture the same thing Jesus was describing before, about life just going on as usual. In these cases, two men working in a field and two women grinding flour. Nothing was seemingly different about either one of these cases on the outside. It was just two men working in a field like they had for years and two women grinding flour like they had for years. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, one is taken away and disappears and one is left in the field or mill to wonder what in the world just happened. That's how the coming of Jesus will happen. This isn't, like I've said before, this is not describing the same event as the second coming, because that has multiple things happen signaling that, all described in the first part of Matthew 24, whereas this return of Jesus has nothing to signal it. And Jesus is very clear about that. No one has any clue when this will happen. It's supposed to come out of nowhere with no warning. The Apostle Paul describes this same return of Jesus, the one that comes out of nowhere and that happens before the tribulation and second coming, to his letter to the Thessalonian church. He says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord, and this is huge, forever. Forever. The word for caught up in verse 17 is translated as rapio in Latin 
and transliterated into English as rapture. You may or may not have heard that word before, rapture. But that word describes this global event I've built up to, this catching up or snatching away of believers in Jesus to spare them from the worldwide tribulational judgments just as Noah was taken up into the ark to spare him from the worldwide flood. This event will not be the full return of Jesus, known as the second coming. This will only be a partial coming of Jesus. Nowhere in 1 Thessalonians 4 does Paul say anything about Jesus returning to earth. Do you see that anywhere in here? No, only that he's going to come down from heaven and we will be caught up to meet him in the air. Nowhere in that does that describe Jesus actually setting his feet on earth. Since we will meet him in the air, Jesus is not fully returning to earth at this point. This will happen before the tribulation and before Jesus fully returning to the earth at his second coming. That will happen after the tribulation. This same event, this rapture, this being caught up of believers, will probably not be actually witnessed by anyone except by those who will be caught up. Because Paul also describes the same event as happening in the blink of an eye. And he says, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. You can see they're very similar language. It's describing the exact same event. In this description of this same event, when both the believers in Jesus who had died by the time of this return and those believers still alive at that point are both raised and caught up together to be with Jesus, we will all be transformed. Do you see that? We will all be transformed. Paul goes on to describe this as being transformed in every way, in mind and in body. We will exchange these bodies that are falling apart in this world for new bodies that will be perfect, free from sickness, pain, injury, and degradation. In this first half of Jesus revealing this global event, his emphasis is on the surprise and the shock of it coming out of nowhere. Two men will be working at the same job, and all of a sudden one will turn to the other to say something and find the other one having simply vanished. Two women will be working together, and all of a sudden one will turn to the other to say something and find the other, the other one having simply vanished. And just as Jesus says in verse 39, no one left will really understand what happened at that point. There will be all sorts of conspiracy theories flying in the, around the world, from some kind of weird illness that made everyone vanish, to a secret government operation, to an alien abduction. All kinds of theories will be flying around the world at that point. Just look at the world right now. And knowing how people are, this is not a stretch at all. People who remember sermons like this and say, 
Oh yeah, wait a second, I remember something just like this being described in the sermon before, and they try to relay that to somebody else, will be ridiculed as crazy, and very few will believe them. No one will understand what happened. And then out of all this chaos, a global leader will emerge and will convince most of the world to swallow everything he says hook, line, and sinker. And you know, observing people's responses to this current presidential race in the midst of this ongoing pandemic, even that seems very believable at this point, doesn't it? Even this looks like it will come about very easily. That global leader will sign a peace agreement with Israel, claiming to protect her from all outside threats, and that will begin the time of global destruction known as the Great Tribulation that will be unlike anything this world has ever seen. But this one global event known as the rapture is the one single day event that will set into motion everything else that Jesus describes before this in Matthew 24. And this one single day global event known as the rapture, no one, not even Jesus, has any clue as to when it will happen. It will come out of nowhere, and it will happen at any given moment. At the moment of the rapture, only those who put their faith and trust in Jesus for salvation from their sins will be caught up to be with Jesus forever. This is both a warning and a bolstering call at the same time. This is a warning to all those who have not yet made a decision about whether or not they'll place their faith and trust for their eternity in what Jesus has already done for them on the cross. Like I talked about a few weeks ago with the parable of the two sons, you cannot sit on the fence forever. Agnosticism is merely a, merely a mirage. It's not a real option. For delayed obedience to God will only result in the same fate as the one who outright rejected God's salvation. If you die before you make a decision, it will be too late. When Jesus returns at the rapture before you make a decision, it will be too late. Again, you won't even be able to see that it's happening and quickly say a prayer so that you can get caught up too. It will happen in the blink of an eye and be missed by everyone else. So don't bank on that. We know from the rest of Scripture that every other prophecy that needed to be fulfilled before Jesus returns at this moment of the rapture has already happened. There's nothing holding it back. It could happen at any given moment. So don't think you have any more time to think it over. None of us have any idea how much time we have left on this earth. And we certainly don't know when Jesus will come back for all those who have trusted in him for their salvation. Don't play around with it anymore, thinking you still have time to think about it. So if you haven't made a decision about who you place your trust in for eternity, do that right now. The Bible is very clear that merely good works or you generally being a good person is not enough for you to get into heaven. It's just not. 
The Bible is very clear that we are all born sinners, and our only hope is to recognize that our sin prohibits us to be anywhere near most holy God or his eternal and heavenly home. In fact, the deserved payment for our sinfulness is death, both physical death and, more importantly, what is known as the second death or banishment to a place of darkness where there is eternal physical and emotional pain, a place called hell. And in most holy God's perfect love, he came to earth himself as Jesus to pay that payment of death as the sinless sacrifice on our behalf. When we come to the conclusion that that we're sinners and our hope is Jesus paying the price for our sin on the cross and we accept that for ourselves and we turn away from wanting to live sinful lives known as repentance, we become a part of God's family. God starts turning us into new people, transformed by his Holy Spirit, and we're known as God's children. And when Jesus comes back for God's children, those who turn from their sin and put their faith in him, known as the rapture, we will be with Jesus forever. We will be spared from all the unspeakable judgments on the earth of the great tribulation, just as Noah and his family were spared from the flood of destruction. And we will enjoy being in Jesus' presence, living in his blessing, light, and love for all of eternity. Don't be left on earth to endure the wrath of God on this decayed world. If you've made this decision, look forward to that singular day with great anticipation. Next week, we'll look at the second half of this and how this should affect our lives now. Jesus is coming back. His promises are right there. He promises us this right here in these verses we just looked at. And Jesus always makes good on his promises. Even as this country is roiling with chaos, this is not the worst of it. And we will be spared from the worst. So live every day with hope. The world is not ending. Live every day with hope. Do what good you still can, pointing others to the same hope you have in Jesus while you still can. Share his good news with those you love, and those you don't love, because you never know when you've said all you can say, and you'll be gone. Equip as many people as you can with the truths of God's word, because you don't know when you'll be caught up and no longer able to equip anyone. And let us set our minds on this imminent global event, looking forward with hope and faith, knowing that whether we die now or we're still alive at that point, we will be united with Jesus and reunited with our believing loved ones who have gone on before. That single day will be a glorious day. Amen? And as Paul ends his description of the rapture to the church at Thessalonica, so encourage each other with these words.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage in, in Matthew 24 that has everything to do with the parable that will immediately follow it. And you do use illustrations to, to point out what you're getting across. Lord, I thank you that we have the entire Bible, that we can compare with what you say here and get a much bigger and better picture of what will happen. Lord, we, th we don't want to take that for granted. And because of that, with more knowledge comes more responsibility. So Lord, I pray that we would not tire of doing good. We would not grow weary of telling one more person about Jesus. We would not grow weary of doing what you want us to do and living the way you want us to live. But continue to do so with great anticipation, knowing that this could happen at any moment. Lord, we look forward to that. We can't wait. And Lord, in the meantime, I pray that you would give us the confidence and the strength and the power to do the work that you have for us to do right here and now. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name.